it was a very high profile week um, at the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia this week. There was a lot of police testimony, including from the commissioner of the RCMP. That's the inquiry into the deadliest modern day shooting spree in Canadian history. You'll remember in April of 2020, a gunman killed 22 people over 13 hours uh, disguised as or using a replica Mountie RCMP car to get around. Gabriel Wartman traveled nearly 200 kilometers through Nova Scotia over the 13 hours as he committed those crimes. One of the big questions that's come up since the beginning and came up again this week was why the RCMP had not used an emergency alert system that was available to them to warn people there was a gunman on a rampage. Instead, the force turned to Twitter, to social media, leaving many in the dark. And of course, those um, who were killed later are still looking at that and saying more could have been done to warn the public that uh, this person was out there and this person was doing harm. There's also been a lot of questions about what happened after that tragic 13 hours. Uh, With the gunman dead, um, there's been queries as to why it took so long for local RCMPH division in Nova Scotia to update the media and the public about what had happened. It took eight days for them to hold that initial press conference. When that press conference was held, it became the source of controversy later. Here's why. An RCMP superintendent has accused Brenda Lucky, who's the RCMP commissioner now, of political interference in the investigation. Darren Campbell says Lucky told him during an April 2020 meeting that she was sad and disappointed that he had not publicly released information about the firearms used by the gunman. He says Lucky said she had promised the public safety minister and the prime minister's office that those details would be released. Here's Darren Campbell. The commissioner also said that she had promised the minister and the prime minister's office that information about the firearms would be included in the press briefing. As detailed in my notes, I attempted to explain to the commissioner that I could not and would not release that information at that time as a premature release could have a negative impact on the investigation. That is Daryl Campbell speaking back in mid-August at that same inquiry. Well, those questions were obviously put to the RCMP commissioner this week. Was there pressure being put on you from the federal government to get this word of the of the firearms, what firearms were used out there, because it was part and parcel of, uh, it aligned really with their gun legislation, right? Um, Brenda Lucky said no. She said that she'd been told information about the kinds of weapons would be released, and her frustration was not about political pressure, but about getting the facts straight, especially with what she says uh, was a difficult situation with communication between uh, headquarters and H Division in Nova Scotia. And also, she'd been telling Uh, the PMO and the public safety minister that these details would be out there. Here she is. No, it was a question. Are they going to be released? Not, not do uh, not any direction to release the the documentation or to release the information. But I know in general, my comms people were extremely frustrated because they wanted the communications in H division to be more transparent, more forthright, try to provide more information. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky there testifying this week on Tuesday at the Mass uh, Casualty Inquiry in Nova Scotia. So there's been a lot swirling around about what kind of pressure she was was being put on her and what kind of pressure she was putting on uh, H-Division in response. Did she do enough to dispel all that speculation about that pressure coming from Ottawa about uh, naming the guns because it fit in with gun legislation that the Liberals were pushing? Uh, joining me now is Halifax lawyer Adam Rogers. He's been following the inquiry closely. Thanks for your time tonight. Well, great to be back, Ben. Thanks for having me on. 
a very big week. A lot of uh, big names, a lot of important names in this whole uh, series, especially after the fact, I would imagine. But uh, tell me a bit about what stood out to you this week. I know, obviously, the RCMP commissioner, Brenda Lucky, was there. She had a lot uh, of questions to answer, we know. But there were some other uh, big names there this week as well. It was an important week, I think, for people uh, following. And maybe people that haven't been following that closely would have tuned in this week wanting to see the the testimony of Brenda Lucky, the commissioner of the RCMP, and, you know, would have heard about some of these political interference angles. But I think if they watched a little bit more of uh, the proceedings, we had Lee Bergerman, who was the commanding officer of the RCMP in Nova Scotia, which was coming under great criticism. And then we had Dan Kinsella, who's the chief of the Halifax Regional Police. And the contrast in leadership styles and just the I guess the the quality of leadership and the leadership teams that you can see reflected after the the testimony, uh, I think was an important thing because for many people, they would have heard about the political interference angle, but they wouldn't maybe understand what kind of criticism the Nova Scotia leadership team of the RCMP was under. After these incidents, they had press conferences that were just disastrous. They were giving out incorrect information. And this narrative, this negative narrative started developing against the RCMP as a result. Brenda Lucky, we're learning now, was in Ottawa trying to figure out what they could do from a communications perspective to help out. And that was all kind of laid bare this week in in their testimony. Yeah, one of the things that I found interesting was like, I mean, we do now understand that a lot of what was going on within, you know, in the aftermath or during that horrific incident was was a real failure of the local RCMP to be able to communicate what was happening uh, to the population, even be able to communicate within the organization. Uh, but I also realized that that it took the national RCMP a long time to send to sort of send in help, even though they realized I think things were going poorly there what was what was that all about i mean it seemed like everyone people were kind of aware that uh nova scotia rcmp were really struggling with this uh but that help wasn't forthcoming at least not right away yeah it seems that way and you know what we heard from brenda lucky as the commissioner of the national rcmp was that she wasn't receiving enough information she wasn't getting briefings from nova scotia as she would have expected to receive uh, you know multiple times a day as she would uh, expect in other circumstances and But there was this communications failure, and it seemed to originate with the leadership team of the Nova Scotia RCMP. We know we've heard testimony of the, you know, the frontline officers who were in and they were doing, you know, acting quite bravely. And then, but there was, you know, mistakes made or, or things that were happening during the, the operation that, uh, you know, raised some questions. And the RCMP provincially just seemed to not want to answer those questions not want to be forthcoming with information. Brenda Lucky, as the commissioner of the RCMP, seemed inclined to try to push them to be a little more proactive with disclosure, but there was resistance throughout the organization to doing that. And it just seems like it's a maybe a cultural thing within the RCMP not to be uh, that forthcoming. And, and of course, we've seen the, dem- the, the distinction between the RCMP approach to things and you know, the Uvalde police in the United States who were very, you know, upfront and having press conferences and giving out information. So it's a lot of distinctions uh, going on there. 
Yeah, when we look at um, the political angle, because that was really what a lot of people outside of Nova Scotia, I think, were looking for in all this when Brenda Lucky took uh, the witness table this week. Uh, there had been accusations that she had been pressured or was pressuring the local RCMP in Nova Scotia to release more information about the weapons, and that would fall into line with some political uh, desires in Ottawa from the public safety minister, amongst others, uh, to see that information released. Did, was that cleared up at all this week? Did we learn more? Do we have a better idea of what may have happened? I think so. You know, with uh, with Brenda Lucky's testimony, and I think she's, you know, she answered questions at length. She seemed to uh, be, you know, be able to provide specifics of her own involvement, at least. She didn't seem all that familiar with the operation. I know a lot of people were criticizing her for not having the in-depth understanding of the operation itself. But as far as her own involvement, I think she gave, uh, you know, strong answers. You know, she seemed to be inclined to provide more disclosure, but the Nova Scotia RCMP didn't. And they used this justification of an active investigation, but we haven't heard really anything that would justify that, that would back that up and say there really was an active investigation and that withholding this these details on the firearms was important to that investigation. That just hasn't stood up. You know, the Nova Scotia RCMP that claimed that initially, they haven't really been able to back that up with facts. So uh, that seems to be something that favors Brenda Lucky in that instance. But on the political side, I mean, you know, the Liberal government was bringing in firearms legislation. They wanted to know whether the firearms seized in this case were among those firearms that were being newly banned. And probably a reasonable question. Brenda Lucky gave detailed answers that seemed to suggest anyway that she didn't feel any pressure and that whatever pressure she may have, uh, uh, you know, subtly applied, maybe unknowingly applied to the Nova Scotia RCMP didn't seem to change their behavior either because they didn't then go and reveal the details of the guns. So, you know, yes, there uh, were certainly political angles to this. I'm not sure that there was direct political pressure to the extent that it in, interfered with anything, if you understand, you know? Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so listeners understand really what this week focused on was was the response, right? Afterwards, not the response to the actual uh, shooting itself, or at least what was happening. There was some talk of that, I know. Uh, but did we get a clearer picture of where some of the failures were this week as well during uh, the time that this shooting, these shootings were taking place? Well, one of the details that came out yesterday when uh, Dan Kinsella, the chief of the Halifax Regional Police, was uh, testifying was the alert ready system. And, you know, he was aware of it. The RCMP throughout the, you know, from the front line to the leadership said they weren't aware of this emergency alert system or its potential usage during an active shooter situation. Chief Kinsella says he was he was aware of it and it should have been used earlier, in his opinion, had the killer gone into their territory, the Halifax territory, he was prepared to use it. And he said, certainly if EMO, the emergency management office had offered it, it would have been inconceivable that they wouldn't have used it as the RCMP didn't. And, you know, of course we heard way back early on, one of the, uh, the first officers in, actually the first officer in early on suggested over the radio, shouldn't we issue an alert here? And so that was something that came out over the past week as well. You know, the RCMP trying to downplay the effectiveness or potential effectiveness of this alert system and the Halifax police saying, no, we knew all about it. Because obviously one of the big criticisms uh, from families of those who were killed on the second day, um, on the 19th, I believe, has been the fact that 
there was no alert that the RCMP in Nova Scotia turned to Twitter, of all things, which most people don't use, obviously, uh, turned yeah. to Twitter to try to get information out there about an active shooter and that they would, if they had known earlier that there was an active shooter in a replica RCMP car, that perhaps lives could have been saved. I'm speaking with Adam Rogers. He's a Halifax lawyer who's been following the mass shooting inquiry uh, very closely. Some big names uh, testified this week, including, as he was talking about, the commissioner of the RCMP, Brenda Lucky, as well as uh, the assistant commissioner who's now retired of the RCMP in Nova Scotia, who was the uh, commanding officer at the time, Lee Bergman, uh, and uh, the Halifax Regional Police Commissioner as well, who's been talking about uh, what uh, what he knew and didn't know about uh, what kind of communication tools were available. When we come back, we'll, when we come back, we'll talk a bit more about uh, that lack of communication on the day of the shooting and and the emergency alert system that could have been used. Uh, that's next. Adam Rogers is with with us this half hour. He's a Halifax lawyer who is following uh, the ongoing inquiry into that mass shooting uh, in in Nova Scotia, um, the deadliest mass shooting in Canadian modern Canadian history. We had some big witnesses on the stand this week, including uh, the commissioner of the RCMP, Brenda Lucky. Uh, before we went to break, we were talking a bit about you know what kind of information was released while this was happening and could lives have been saved? And that was a really interesting point you got to uh, near the end there because there's been a lot of criticism of Nova Scotia RCMP for using Twitter and not much else to try to get word out that there was an active shooter and there was very little information on Twitter for that matter in a replica RCMP vehicle. What did we find out? Uh, You mentioned the Halifax Regional Police Commissioner saying that he was aware that there could have been a more effective alert system used than Twitter at the time. Yes, well, uh, the Halifax, so back in 2016, the Emergency Management Office offered the RCMP direct access to the emergency alert system and they rejected it. So there was this, uh, you know, great tool or potential tool for alerting the public, particularly in a rural area, Ben, where like where, I mean, the the RCMP, first of all, there's not great uh, cell coverage and all that stuff, but there's also not a lot of Twitter users, uh, but everybody has a cell phone and would have received this emergency alert had it been issued. And so many of the people, certainly on the, the 19th, the second day of this uh, the active shooter situation, would have been saved, wouldn't have been out of their house. Uh, so, you know, certainly that's a, a key point in all this. You know, the, the Halifax uh, police officer, uh, chief as well, talked about just the... The way that policing is structured in Nova Scotia, you know, he, you know, there's RCMP and Halifax Regional Police policing Halifax, uh, but the Halifax Police Chief reports to council, he reports to a local board, the RCMP reports to Ottawa. So there's there's a lot of questions arising during this week, and the commissioners were asking a lot of questions about, you know, along the lines of, well, should the RCMP still be the police force policing Nova Scotia? Yeah, you, I mean, what was interesting, I know, is that Commissioner Brenda Lucky talked a lot about loss of faith. And she seemed to say that, you know, the relationship between the RCMP and Nova Scotians had been good uh, up until those those hours and that it, it was not afterwards. Is, is that a fair assessment? And what happens next? Uh, did she talk a bit about rebuilding that trust or trying to? Well, she did, but she really didn't provide any concrete examples of what's been going on for the last two years, you know, that would... Uh, help that out. The only real approach that the RCMP has, and this seems to be their approach to everything is, well, we've gotten rid of the leaders. You know, the, uh, you know, Assistant Commissioner uh, Bergerman is gone, uh, the Chief Superintendent. uh, So the one, two, and three uh, top officers in Nova Scotia are all uh, retired or transferred. Many of the staff sergeants have retired since then. So the leadership of the RCMP in Nova Scotia is largely has been you know, subject to turnover. 
Well, they seem, that is the RCMP, seem to think that's enough. But, you know, the Association of Nova Scotia Police Chiefs have removed the RCMP as an executive member of that association. First time that's ever happened. And so there's a real disconnect between what Commissioner Lucky is saying about the relationship and what others are saying is happening on the ground. For the families this week, and I know this has always really been about the families of the victims, what did they find out this week that they may not have known? And what was the reaction to seeing these very high profile people take the stand or take the witness table so it, as it is? So uh, a few weeks ago, before the commission took a break, uh, Darren Campbell, who was the number one officer in Nova Scotia at the time, gave sort of a tearful apology at the end of his testimony. And so that kind of put pressure on the other RCMP officers to follow to try to give a similar apology or something along those lines. And there were some of those, but I don't think the family was completely accepting of the ones this week. I know Lee Bergerman uh, tried to sneak one in sort of at the end of her testimony. Brenda Lucky certainly gave an apology, but sort of coached it in different terms of not being everything that people expected and that sort of thing. So, you know, it was an apology, but was it really an apology? Uh, I think the families were not quite sure how to take that. So, you know, there's some contrition on the part of the RCMP, but not a, not entirely. So I think people are looking forward and wondering, um, you know, whether the RCMP can recover from that as an entity and uh, still be, you know, an effective, trusted police force. Adam Rogers, uh, as always, thank you so much. Great, Ben. Thank you.